I'm Sheila. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to season two of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy. Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did. This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study. Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, if you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics or send us an email at pushingpediatrics at gmail.com. Hey guys, have you been thinking about joining MedBridge to access the PCS prep program? but just haven't jumped on it yet? Well, we have a special offer for you. We've partnered with MedBridge to offer you all a special discount code on their subscriptions. You can either go onto their MedBridge page and use the code PUSHINGPEDS for $150 off of your subscription or click on the link on the episode summary to go directly to our Pushing Pediatrics page. Follow us, but not studying for the PCS exam? That's okay. You can still use this discount code as well. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. You all know how much we utilized MedBridge during our studying and how we based our entire study plan off of their content. So take advantage of this special offer and purchase your MedBridge subscription today. This week, we are going to continue with the spinal cord injury content and go through the spinal cord injury case from the Pediatric Case Files book. This is case number two. This is one of the longer case studies from the book, and there is a lot of useful information to cover. A healthy and typical developing 14-year-old male was involved in a high-speed motor vehicle collision in which he was an unrestrained front seat passenger. Upon assessment by first responders, he was unable to move any of his extremities. The patient was placed in a hard cervical collar and was immobilized on a backboard for transport to the trauma center. He was initially assessed in the emergency department. Radiographs revealed a fracture C6 vertebrae. He was able to flex his elbows bilaterally against resistance and weakly extend his wrists. He demonstrated patchy sensation throughout his upper extremities and trunk. His initial international standards for neurological classification of spinal cord injury score was a C6 AISB. He was placed on high-dose glucose corticoids and admitted to the intensive care unit for further management. Two days later, he underwent surgical fusion from C6 to T2 to stabilize his spine. Six days later, he was transferred to an acute rehabilitation hospital where physical therapy evaluation and treatment started. 
a repeated ISN-CSCI examination score of C7-AISC showed that some neurological recovery had occurred with fair muscle strength in bilateral triceps and finger flexors and trace contraction in bilateral hip flexors. Listening to that case and remembering the content from last season and the clinical summary content from earlier this week, you should already be thinking about what you know and what you might not feel comfortable with yet. There is no way around it. You need to know your motor levels and how to determine the level and severity of a spinal cord injury. Some of this stuff will be repetitive from last year and our last episode, but repetition builds your knowledge. This case specifically addresses the management of an adolescent with a spinal cord injury. So remember that as we go through it, you need to be familiar with management across all age ranges. We talked about this last week in the PCS prep committee group. Sometimes just paying attention to the patient's age helps you answer a question because Different ages are going to require you to do different things. So make sure when you're reading through case studies that you're paying attention to the age of the child and what that means for diagnosis, intervention, planning, everything. Definitely ditto to what Sheila said. Even if it's as little as taking a piece of scratch paper and just writing down some of those notes from that case it makes a huge difference when you're going through and answering questions. I know there were plenty of times on practice exams where I read through a case and didn't realize that the child's age was a, you know, three years old, four years old, and the answer was specifically related to their age. And I chose an answer that would have been related to an older child, but not applicable for a child that was three to four years old. So it's definitely something to pay attention to. And one of the other girls that sits on the committee reminded us that on the real exam as well, you can actually highlight and underline the actual information in the question as you're going through it. So kind of going through and picking out those key demographic information things that might just help lead you to the right answer. And also don't be nervous when you hear that of like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to highlight anything using this system. You're able to take some practice questions and do a tutorial prior to taking the exam. You can even do it as early as now. I think I did it maybe a month before the exam, just so then that way I knew how to navigate the system. It's also available to you on the day of the test as well if you want a refresher on how to do everything too. I definitely recommend doing that. It's a little bit of an archaic feeling system. Um, So I think just going through and making sure that you're really comfortable about how to go forward, how to go back, how to mark questions, all of that kind of stuff. But we digress. Anyways... Some general physical therapy plan of care and goals include promoting independence with mobility and activities of daily living, promoting quality of life, reducing or minimizing risks of secondary complications and comorbidities. Physical therapy interventions will obviously include a lot of patient and family education regarding spinal cord injury and secondary complications. 
Interventions will also include mobility training, balance and transfer training, wheelchair skills and upright mobility, stretching and strengthening of intact or impaired muscles, and stretching of muscles below the level of injury to prevent any contractures. There are some specific precautions that you need to be aware of specific to spinal cord injury. The therapist needs to be aware of autonomic dysreflexia and the signs and symptoms associated with that. During transfers and mobility, we need to be thinking about bone mineral density. No one wants to cause a fracture during a transfer. Also, being aware of the signs and symptoms of orthostatic hypotension is also important. These are some things that you could put onto your daily or master study guide of just quick little things to jot down. So then that way you remember, like with autonomic dysreflexia, Sheila, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that it's T6 and above is when you need to be aware of autonomic dysreflexia. That sounds right. The ISNC-SCI is the universal classification tool for the evaluation of neurologic impairment following SCI. Remember, this is the assessment where they will use sensory and motor exams to identify the level and severity of injury. After this exam, the patient will be assigned a neurological level, a sensory level, a motor level, and a letter grade based on the Asia Impairment Scale, this gives us information on the degree of impairment and how complete the injury is. Let's review some important definition that the case outlines. Make sure you are comfortable with these definitions. We're just reiterating this because it's that important. The neurologic level is the most caudal segment of the cord with intact motor and sensory function bilaterally. To determine the motor or sensory level, they will be the most caudal segment of the cord where there is intact bilateral motor or sensory function. After you have determined the level of injury, you need to determine the completeness of the injury. To review, completeness is indicated by those letters A, B, C, D, or E. We talked about this in our last episode, so make sure to go back and review. Knowing the level of spinal cord injury and completeness needs to be an area you are comfortable with. The ASIA examination is a reliable tool for adults, but with children, it can be a little more challenging. The rehabilitation goals for the adolescent with spinal cord injury will be multifactorial. A major consideration is the level and severity of the adolescent's injury. After a comprehensive assessment, you can establish a plan of care. As stated before, goals are going to focus on strength, balance, range of motion, functional mobility, and activity tolerance. Making sure to keep in mind those precautions for orthostatic hypotension, fracture risk, and autonomic dysreflexia. A few outcome measures discussed include the FIM or the WEFIM for children under seven. In the case file, table 2.1, they have an excellent chart breaking down the level of injury and expectations for expected functional participation of the patient in things like bed mobility, transfers, wheelchair, and standing or ambulation. Again, these are must-know facts. Memorize it. Also, one thing to just plug here, different sources may have slightly different bits of information, so we suggest picking one source that is just the source that 
you memorize and you know whether that's Campbell, whether that's the case file book, whether that's the clinical summary, we would probably say go more for Campbell or the clinical summary because the clinical summary is just all encompassing, but their different sources will have slightly different bits of information for you just to keep in mind. Yeah, it can feel a little overwhelming and I feel like a little maddening. Um, sometimes we call this resource overload in which there are so many resources that you need to study for this exam and they're just not all going to be exactly the same. And that's really just the reality. And I really suggest that you just move past it, pick something to study and just move on and know that you're probably not going to get a question that is so detailed and so specific that it's going to split some of those hairs. So just do your best, pick a resource, know the information, and then move on and keep learning other stuff because there's way too much stuff to learn to let yourself be overwhelmed by this. All right, back to the case files. Once you've determined your level of injury for the patient, you have an idea of the expectations you have for them. You are ready to determine your plan of care. When you approach a question on the real exam or a practice exam related to spinal cord injury, make sure that you are just taking a breath and thinking through it. What age is my patient? That will help you know what types of things you expect. And then what is their injury level? Thinking back to that table, you can have some reasonable expectation of your patient based on their injury level. This is likely already going to help you start your deductive reasoning and maybe even get rid of one obvious wrong answer. We talk about this a lot, but the best outcomes seem to come from goal-oriented and task-specific training. With SCI, the level is going to determine a lot of your goals, but ultimately, we want the child to be as functional and independent as their level allows. This is why knowing those levels is so important. A C7 to C8 tetraplegia patient should be able to be an independent manual wheelchair user on level terrain, but they may need some help outside on unlevel terrain. However, a T1 to T9 patient should be independent on all terrain with a manual wheelchair. So make sure your goals align with expected outcomes. Also, make sure as you move down the levels that you're thinking about bracing options required for standing and ambulation at the lower thoracic and lumbar levels. What do these patients need to optimize their potential for ambulation? Again, the table in the case files book outlines this, and there are a lot of resources that have this information. We also talk about it last year in our spinal cord injury episode. Let's talk through some evidence-based clinical recommendations. The book gives grade B evidence to a standing program at a dose of five days per week for 60 minutes to assist with prevention of loss of bone mineral density in individuals with acute SCI. They give grade C evidence to body weight supported treadmill training for pediatric patients with SCI. The quality of the literature for body weight supported treadmill training was just not there and mostly consists of case studies and series. Remember your hierarchy of research here. They give grade B evidence to lower extremity functional electrical stimulation and neuromuscular electrical stimulation to increase lower extremity muscle volume in children with SCI. This was one of the longer case studies from the case files book. 
There is a lot more information included that we didn't discuss here, but a lot of it we reviewed in our last episode and our episode last year. We really want to stress the importance of being very comfortable with determining levels of spinal cord injury and then giving recommendations for goals and interventions at each of those levels. You also need to be comfortable with key muscle groups in both upper extremity and lower extremity. This was definitely something that we came back to multiple times throughout our study process to allow us repetition and confidence with answering questions related to spinal cord injury. That's it for this week. Happy studying, and we will have more episodes for you next week. Thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time. And remember, you totally got this.